This is the Relevant Podcast. It's the week of June 12th, 2020, and it's the Relevant Podcast. Uh, from Orlando, I'm your host, Cameron Strang, and joining me from Loverland, Virginia, it's Jesse Carey. Hello, hello. From Austin, Texas, author and podcaster Jamie Ivey. Hey, 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 guys. I'm and, back. From, and from Nashville, Tennessee, artist and producer Derek Miner. What up, dog? Uh, we have a great show in store for you today. Coming up later, worship leader Torin Wells joins us. Uh, is a friend Ooh. of. Yeah, we like Torin. And Marty from Social Club Misfits is on the show. He just dropped a solo project this week, Marty for President 2, and you're going to hear it later. You might also, if you listen to the album, hear a track by Mr. Derek Miner. Yes, sir. <laughs> hey, listen, if Derek, if you and Marty legit wanted to make a run for president, this is the year because I don't think anyone, I, look, I'm not trying to get political, so I'm just going to say my thought and we can move on. But I don't think anyone's excited about either candidate, to be honest with you. Like, <laughs> this is one year where I was like, I don't know, man. Like, I'm not trying to be ageist, but if Biden, get, he's going to be like 82, you know, and during his fight. Like, if we really started a thing where you guys were on a ticket, Derek, you yeah. and Marty, and it was just yeah. a write-in campaign. Like, I honestly think this would maybe be the best shot in American history to have just a viral write-in candidate actually. Like, you don't, you don't even need to be on the ballots. We'll just get this going viral because, yeah. honestly, they're going to look at the other two candidates and they're like, I feel way better about that. The, the crazy part is, I, I remember, I don't know if you guys remember this, but do you remember, uh, Cam, you probably remember this, that awful dunk contest where it was just terrible. It was probably, I think, 2000. 12, it, maybe 2013. It was, right before, it was right before like Dwight one where he kind of revived uh -huh. it. No, yeah. gone, no, Dwight was 2010 though. So yeah, okay, then it might have been okay, then it might have been like 2009. But I remember Charles Barkley said something, and I I've died laughing ever since. He said they were asking like, man, this is an awful dunk contest. Who's gonna win? And Charles Barkley says, maybe nobody will win. <laughs> it was that. Bad. It was that's like, how I feel right now. I'm like, man, maybe nobody will win. Man, maybe we'll just, you know, just just call it a watch and just. Yeah. It's I'll like, work on your campaign, Derek, for free. You don't have to pay me. It's literally like if it's if it's between no dunk contest winner or we have like the Joe Biden equivalent, which is Blake Griffin jumping over a Kia. And then it's like, Derek, Derek, I think you got a shot because that duck contest really did suck. It was I mean, trash. It was I mean, trash. They're saying defund police departments. What if we just defunded the presidency and just see what happens? Just, you know, let's just spread Damn. out the power structure a little bit. You right. know. Hey, listen, we can never say nothing can have or happen because we've seen that anyone can win president. Derek, I think you got a shot. <laughs> anyone, I, yeah. I, I honestly TV do. Stars. I, I and I I'm not a historian. We could have a historian on to confirm this, but I don't think there's a better time in American history than to make a write-in campaign. I mean, you can look at the history of the republic and be Let's like, no, it. no, straight up. If they had a writing campaign, they got a shot here. You know, <laughs> your time. right, right. Look, let's do that. Relevant. Hey, y'all, write me in. I'm I'm ready. I'm ready. Look, <laughs> Marty, Marty. I'm gonna be Marty's VP. Marty's you, gonna run. I think I think we can do this. We can do this. All right. Jesse, All right. do you remember back in oh I don't know, was it eight, twelve? One of the cycles, 
we got joking on the podcast about starting a third party because yeah, we weren't satisfied party. with the right and the left. And we ended up figuring out we should call it the dance party. Mm -hmm. and, <laughs> and that was the platform. The platform was in the name. It's a dance party. That's all you need. That's to right. And uh, we and some some of our listeners like made up shirts and stickers and I have them in the podcast archive somewhere. Uh, the dance party It's Tyler Huckabee kind of doing this juke and then I'm in the background because I was the VP. So. Well, a, a few years ago, as listeners may remember, I got I was fascinated that uh, you know rock and roll provocateur Andrew WK. Uh, was going to run a write-in campaign for That's the right. for the Clinton Trump first election the first time around, That's and right. he was running under the party party, which the <laughs> the party's platform was partying, and I had him on the podcast. I had him on this very podcast. That's right. And I was thinking, I'm just going to joke around with Andrew WK about the party party. Right. He was very serious he was about very his serious about and it. it was it was a little awkward, <laughs> but uh, I don't th I don't think his messaging was right, Derek. I think yours would be. Dude, you know? Jesse, there have been a number of times over the years that we've thought, oh, this person is doing something ridiculous. They're very self-aware. Let's call them, have them on. We'll joke around with them. Everybody's in on the joke. We'll pretend like it's serious. You know, right. like various uh, people shoot, trying to shoot themselves up into space or start yeah. mustache organizations or, yeah. you know, party was, parties. Yeah, th and it never a, goes well. But they're really it's serious. It's never well, gone yeah, well, well once. It, it was like, okay, the president of the American Mustache Institute, this will be a real gas for everyone and it's like oh wait this is kind of serious and that, I, remi that reminds I me of jesse did you get did you get a call back from jose canseco no oh and, good question oh, but he I has announced about, I dude i'm waiting for it too i'm waiting for it too i should probably call him again later on the show what was his name his assistant that you called Oh, I'll look. It's in his uh, Twitter bio. I think it was a Tiger King or something. <laughs> I'll say this. It was Nick Cage. Jose Canseco's personal phone number isn't hard to find. So uh, that's, that's troubling. Uh, Jamie, I've been watching Instagram, obviously, for a lot of reasons. So the feed is all these like massive photos of, you know, people speaking out against injustice and, you know, then just compelling signs. And then my feed is like people just advocating for change. And then pictures of you and your family at the beach. Okay, but I also advocate for change as well, Cameron. Just don't, don't throw so me for last that week. I was going to say, it's, I, I don't think it was a one or the other. I don't think you could. I'm both, guys. I'm just I'm saying both. my feed. My feed is yes, like 99% yes. one thing. And then Jamie going... We really needed this, guys. Look at the. <laughs> you know. how, how, how was your vacation, Jamie? So we went to Port Aransas, which, if you're not from Texas, no, we aren't. It's like a Texas beach, which. What does that mean? It's like there's like sombreros, or uh, I mean, no, like the water's cowboys? all brown. It's just uh. gross. Um, so it's also okay. I want to say this, and I don't want to offend anybody. See, I think through these things, Jesse. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it's also. It's also there's a lot of um, how do I say this kindly? There's a lot of like tr there we saw like three or four Trump flags. I'll just say it like that. Okay. So this is like okay. this is the beach. So we stayed at this condo, and I just want <laughs> you to know, nobody in Port Aransas is worried about COVID. Like nobody. Like it was. People were at the beach, and it was. Do you think that's a, a Texas thing or a beach thing? Yeah. I, see. I, okay, I have one quick thought there, Jamie. First off, I know I, I haven't been to a beach in Texas, but I've been to 
a shady beach in Florida before. And this is how you know it's a shady beach when a lot of the people are swimming in clothes. Like, that's straight up people in jeans. There are people in jeans in the water. In the pool with a belt on. That's what I'm saying. It's like, my man, my man, he's out there frolicking. He's got a leather belt and a cell phone clip on. And he's just like, they, they don't own bathing suits. They're just like, all right, we're going to the beach. They're wearing sneakers and jeans in the water. That's how you know it's text speech. Second off, that's an indicator they might not be all that concerned about the uh, pandemic restrictions. But, Jamie, I had heard this. And now this could be a myth, but I've been going to the beach a lot, too, and just jumping in fully clothed. But uh, I've been going to the beach a lot, too. And someone had told me, like, you don't need to worry about the beach because UV light kills coronavirus and the sun's blasting it down on us. And so we're all just getting sanitized. Right. And so I was talking about this before we got on and Derek jumped in mid conversation. He probably thought this was pretty weird, but I'm, I'm a follower of science. Right. So that's why I've been going to the tanning bed. I just want to, for the black listeners, this is going to be the weirdest white conversation you've ever had. Okay, continue on with this. This magic coming mid sentence of this. You know where he's going, Derek. You don't no, know. No, no. All right, come on, let's go. Let's no. take me on the ride, bro. I'm ready to roll. Okay, so here's my theory. Here's my theory, and I heard it from the White House itself. So you tell me. You tell me if it's if it's crazy. Along with it, injected Clorox. Like so. Well, obviously I've been doing that. I mean, like you guys aren't. You guys haven't been. Uh, Also, feeling pretty weird these days, and having a lot of weird rashes. Anyway, uh, no, I get in the tanning bed, and I just, I just, I have my mouth open because it's important that the UV light penetrates anywhere that the virus could be. And I just rotate around in there. I slowly roll for about half hour like a rotisserie chicken. And I it's like at the dentist's office where they throw all the tools in that thing and it just sanitizes them. I come out and I am, the, the UV light has has soaked me around and I am I am free of, of, of any concerns. So that's my theory about going to the beach. So then okay? I'm good. I'm good to go. My whole family's good. Yes, unless you're wearing jeans in the water, because none of that area is getting the exposure to the sun that you need. It's, you know, I've seen, I've seen, I've gone to beaches where I've seen, I've seen someone at the beach at one of those type of beaches, literally in the water in jean overalls, and it's like, all right, that's that seems like a safety hazard at that point. Yeah. That's a Virginia yeah. thing, I think. Yeah. Um, so, like, that is Jeez. something people have been commenting about, like all these photos of hundreds of thousands of demonstrators. Like, I mean, our country is unified around a, 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 yeah. a cause right now it seems like and and it's like you're looking at these pictures and a, i mean we've posted them you know at relevant and you know 90 percent of the comments are like you know awesome incredible and whatever and then 10 percent are like what happened to covid you know like <laughs> no where's covid right. <laughs> yeah. I, and tennessee, I'm, tennessee is at a 20 percent mask ratio that 20 percent of people are wearing masks everywhere are, you go well and in florida i mean where i'm at in Orlando, going around, you're going to a restaurant, going to stores, grocery store. I'd say ninety percent are wearing masks. Yeah, I, I would say it's like eighty wow. to ninety. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah, pretty high here too. I mean, yeah. not down at the beach, but my kids, my boys started strength and conditioning with football today, and they, I haven't seen them yet, but they're supposedly wearing masks when they work out. That, in the I, weight room. Nashville. Wow. In the weight room, I don't know. Down here, we have so many public things, you know, you have your universal opened up and Mm. there's so many entertainment things, right? And they're opening up at like partial capacity, 25%, 30% capacity, but they're requiring like um, 
temperature checks when you walk in. Like they have the, yeah. the infrared temperature checks and you have to have a mask to, to engage. Jeez. So, and there's social distancing protocols and stuff. So people are out and about again, but yeah. it is different. It's very different going around, around yeah, here. They did at least. not check our temperature before we went to the beach at all. So we're, we're good to go. My <laughs> thing with the water's brown though. So yeah, you have other things to worry <laughs> about. I do want to, I do want to cause y'all know I'm a Texas girl. We may not have the best beaches, but that we still, I'm still proud to be a Texan. And that would be only what a Texan would say right now is that, you know, I know we don't have the best beaches, but whatever. Yeah, well, we're, we're, and, well, I'll say this: we're not messing with you. The state has already warned us against that. Be, That's right. Enjoy, enjoy your brown water. Your... <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, moving the show along, uh, you know, this is where we usually bring in Tyler Huckabee to bring us the hot list. Uh, last couple of weeks, because the national conversation required something different, uh, we we pivoted a little bit more away from the uh, silly jingles and a little bit more toward the actual things that we're covering uh, right now at Relevance. So uh, we figured we'd continue that today. Uh, welcome to the show, Tyler Huckabee. Hey, everybody. Hey, um, so Tyler's our senior editor at Relevant, and he's the host of Relevant Daily, where we cover what's happening at the intersection of faith and culture, although lately it's been a little bit of a pivot. So uh, tell us what's going on, Tyler. Um, so I brought uh, three stories today that are kind of going to take a uh, look at what's the, the past week from a few different angles. And I want to start with something that I think a lot of people have heard about, but maybe people have sort of a different, there's hmm. been a lot of misunderstanding about it. And that's about the intention, the stated plan of what's going to happen to the police force in Minneapolis, which a lot of people have heard. So after uh, about two and a half weeks now of global pro protests uh, that have made it clear that people want some sort of radical change. The city of Minneapolis, a veto-proof majority of the Minneapolis City Council, has announced what they're calling a transformative plan to disband their embattled police department and rethink public safety hmm. from the ground up. So I'm going to read this quote. This is from Lisa Bender. She's the city council president. She said this, in Minneapolis and in cities across the U.S., it is clear that our system of policing is not keeping our communities safe. Our efforts at incremental reform have failed, period. Our commitment to do what's necessary to keep every single member of our community safe and to tell the truth that the Minneapolis police are not doing that. Our commitment is to end policing as we know it and to recreate systems of public safety that actually keep us safe. Uh, worth noting here that the mayor, many of the Minneapolis mayor does not actually support this movement, but he can't override the majority of the city council. So it will move ahead. Uh, so I want to give the, this whole idea of defunding police departments, abolishing police departments, demilitarizing. There's a lot of words going around. And I think that a lot of people are being brought into this conversation very quickly, maybe without knowing what these words mean, which is causing a lot of controversy. And so to provide just a little bit of context, because there is a wide range of views about what this could look like. Uh, I'm going to read you a little bit of an interview with a guy named Alex Vitale. He wrote a book called The End of Policing in 2017. This is what he told NPR. One of the problems that we're encountering here is this massive expansion in the scope of policing over the last 40 years or so. 
Policing is now happening in our schools. It's happening in relation to the problems of homelessness, untreated mental illness, youth violence, and some of the things that we historically associate police with. So what I'm calling for is a rethink on why we've turned all of these social problems over to the police to manage. And as we dial those things back, then we can think more concretely about what the rest of policing should look like and how that could be reformed. So it's not necessarily, not necessarily having to do with just saying no police whatsoever in communities. It's pulling money away from police force and putting them towards other innovative ways of addressing social issues in communities that we have been for the last 40 to 50 years entrusted the police with that they may not necessarily be equipped to do. Now, that's not everybody who's part of this Abolish the Police movement. There are more radical versions of this. There are more moderate versions of this. But that's sort of a summation of maybe what we'll call the centrist view Mm -hmm. of all this. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? I think I think it's really interesting, too, because when you look at a lot of like crime stats, you know, it's easy to get, you know, caught up just on the surface level numbers. But a lot of times stats specifically about crime and different kind of, you know, social indicators are more symptoms of problems than the real problems. You know, like if you were to look, if you were to tackle issues like giving municipalities more mental health resources for people that or, um, you know, know, a lot homelessness, yeah, how, housing, yeah, education, yeah. after yeah, school it, programs. I mean. Yeah, yeah. F- f- financial, uh, uh, you know, res- you know, training resources and, and, and equipping um, communities with addiction recovery. You know, a lot of crime, uh, you know, across demographics, you know, racial and gender. A lot of them are rooted in people that have substance, uh, uh, you know, abuse issues at times or uh, addiction issues. And when when people are punished for having, you know, I think I think history is going to look back on this era, you know, really wondering why if if a lot of the source of of, you know, crimes are, you know, people ultimately, de- uh, you know, dealing with other issues and, and those issues manifest itself uh, in, in crime. Why weren't we addressing those issues? Why aren't why, why should someone who's who has, you know, we, we're fine. I think we, we've come far enough along in a society to recognize that addiction is a disease. Right. And it's like. It's like the old Mitch Hedberg joke, and and it's the, the the joke has an edge to it, but but that's the point. He you know where he said you know alcoholism is the only disease that people can get mad at you for having, and mm. you know he's like you never hear that's someone good. walk around like hey I can't believe you're still struggling with lupus or whatever. It's like no it, addiction <laughs> addiction we clinically can classify as as a disease. So why are we punishing people for having a disease, locking them up, and and not giving them any resources or actually treating the disease? And it just inter it's another cycle. So I do think that encouraging municipalities to get involved with solutions to problems, making justice making justice actually corrective and restorative instead of just punitive is is a I think that's at the heart of what some of these movements are really about. Yeah, it's I, I this is not about prison reform, but that's all part of the conversation as well. When I used to volunteer at our county jail. All almost I mean, I would I don't know this for a fact, but I would guess a majority of the women that we encountered in our program, like they had very few resources when they were younger growing up. They came from broken families. There was addiction involved. Addiction from their parents was involved. And I didn't see women in there 
who had unlimited resources because they were able to deal with their problems or their parents took care of them. And so that's a whole that prison reforms a whole nother subject as well. But it's the same kind of idea yeah. here is like, how do we help these problems before they become problems? Like, how do we get back to where we're providing, like you said, Cameron, after school programs, um, you know, rehabilitation for people instead of just throwing them in jail? It's it cha- it would change everything. And this is the big problem, in my opinion, um, with and I'm going to be blunt again, uh, as I'm always blunt. But this is a problem with rich, detached white people in Washington, D.C., making laws that affect poor, poor white, black, pink, purple people in Antioch, Tennessee. That's the big problem with that, because it's really easy to make a caricature of a person and say, oh, they're just addicted to drugs because they want to be addicted to drugs. Like no one understands that poverty, it wounds you. It, 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 and, and many of these people are medicating. And that's that's from the trailer park to the hood. Like there's people in all types of different uh, classes that are just like, they're broken. They're, like nobody when they're a kid is like, you know what? I just want to be a drug addict when I right, grow up. Right, nobody. Like yeah, no nobody. one's thinking that way, but something has wounded that person and rather than us um, finding things like mental health advocates to help people process in, in, in that uh, impoverished state and, and help them uh, process that in, in a healthy way, they just get hooked on meth. Or Like my, my dad and my stepdad were both addicted to drugs. And it was because, you know, my, my stepdad, he had a traumatic upbringing. Like my dad had a traumatic upbringing and that was the only way he knew to numb his pain but then what happens is you get caught by the police with you know a rock in your in your in your in, you know some rocks or whatever and then next thing you know now you're in jail now you have a record now it's just a snowball effect of even mm-hmm. more trauma and more uh criminalization and it's just you never get out of it but and but that's what the privatized prison system was built on it was built on profiting off of mentally yeah. disabled people or people that were in a tight spot like it was it was built off of that and a lot of people got rich off of taking advantage of poor and hurt people and that that's why i'm a huge advocate for just tear if you go if we're gonna redo the police let's redo prisons too tear that yeah. tear that down let's start that over too because there's a lot of things that need to be started over in this country someone told me my good friend bj uh, Thompson at Build a Better Us. We used to go into high schools and we would talk to these kids and he would explain to them that you are more profitable to someone in jail than you are on the street. Cuz a lot of people look at my a lot of people look oh, at poor people of whatever color and say, "Hey, they're costing us tax dollars by being out here with welfare and us having to do these programs." So, it's better for us to to put them in jail and it they'll will at least make money off of them via the privatized prison system they're incentivized to imprison poor people you know the interesting thing making around making the rounds this week with all this talk about defund the police and people not understanding quite what that would look like does that mean there's no accountability no safety who do you call at three in the morning if someone's breaking your house that kind of thing uh i've noticed a lot of articles looking at camden seven years ago Camden was the most the number one city for violent crime in America. And uh, the city decided to completely overhaul, completely dismantle their police force. And so they dismantled it, fired everybody, wiped the slate clean and rebuilt it differently. 
Now, I don't know about the funding into after-school programs and the other things that we've talked about that kind of treat it more holistically, but they did fundamentally change the culture, leadership, and structure of the police force in Camden. And since then, in seven years, the violent crimes have dropped by more than half. Wow. And, and local leaders in Camden, now it's not perfect because, uh, you know, local, like I read a quote from uh, one of the pastors there saying, listen, you know, 50, more than 50% of Camden is, um, is Hispanic, uh, 39% is African-American, it's very minority white. Uh, but the police force doesn't reflect that demographic yeah. mix exactly. And 90% of the officers don't live in Camden. They, they work mm -hmm. here and live somewhere else. So it's not perfect, but he is saying at the neighborhood level, you know, they are, you know, they're engaged, they're listening, there's relationship with officers. It is not an antagonistic relationship and the entire dynamic of the city is different now. And the city is a lot safer. I mean, local leaders are saying that. So, you know, it is it's saying like, Hey, if you've got a broken police force, hitting reset, at least in Camden, worked. And so it's interesting to see. And not only that, I mean, you looked at you look at the audit and reports and investigate internal investigations that went on in Ferguson, Missouri, uh, you know, following, you know, another tr tragic, you know, shooting of an of an un unarmed black teenager. And we, we all remember Ferguson, but the audit on the police department found that they were not only incentivizing officers to uh, give to fine residents for various things and, you know, have these court fees. They also would essentially get residents locked in a cycle of of debt that they will never repay because they're charging crazy interest rates on like, you know, bail and court fees and an unpaid ticket. It wasn't just that they were going to get you. They were going to generate revenue from the residents of the city, they were going to incentivize officers to increasingly, uh, you know, increase the amount of, of fines that they were issuing so that they can get people locked in a cycle of repayment. And, you know, when something like that happens, it not only disenfranchise people, but it cripples the entire community financially because everyone's in debt to the police. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think, it, and what you what you're all have articulated really well, which Thank is you. important to all of this, Thank and you. I would encourage people to read more about it. Uh, I have linked to some more resources on this side, but it's important to to note that this is a when we say systemic, this is what we're talking about because it can't just be cops. Right. It, we're talking about for profit prisons. We're talking about education. We're talking about hospitals and healthcare. Like there, this has got to be a multifaceted approach. And I think most people understand that. Most of the activists certainly understand that. So don't fall for people who try to pitch this in a bad faith way. The word defund on the signs, defund the police sounds scary to the uninformed. Yeah, yeah. We're talking mm -hmm. about reallocation of budgetary resources. We're not talking about elimination of protective services, you know? It, well, it, it's like the same people are like, well, I'm not for the legalization of, of, of you know, various substances. So when they hear, well, they, this city is decriminalizing marijuana, that doesn't, decriminalization doesn't mean legality. It means right. th they're making it, you know, it can move from, a this thing can move from a felony to a misdemeanor. There's certain, yes. it's just like, and I only say that to, to, because the, the word defund and decriminalize without a nuanced understanding Understanding, you, you really have to understand what those terms are actually referring to before you kind of jump to making your own opinion, I feel like, or, or yeah. else it, it'll just be misinformed. Propaganda has a great, yeah, he has a great video on what defund looks like. He literally does it with Cheerios and breaks it down to a child's level. It's really good. You know, Post it over at relevantmagazine.com. 
You can check, check it out. <laughs> Bang, bang. <laughs> okay. Great. It was okay. helpful. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. <laughs> uh, moving a little closer to home. Uh, you probably saw this on Tuesday. Uh, J.D. Greer, the Southern president of the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, came out in support of the phrase Black Lives Matter. Here's what he said. In a lengthy address, about 30 minutes, he addressed the largest collective of Protestant churches in the U.S. and made some strong statements regarding the SBC's position on current events. He notably acknowledged the ugly origins of the church body he leads. Now, this isn't talked about a lot for obvious reasons, but the Southern Baptist impetus for splitting from the Northern Baptists about 185 years ago was the disagreement over slavery. Southern Baptists thought that slaveholders should be allowed to be missionaries. They believed this so fervently that they split from what was called the Northern Baptists at the time and became the Southern Baptists. J.D. Greer acknowledged that. He said, quote, we know that is sinful, that is wrong. Went on to say, by God's grace and in spite of our abhorrent beginnings, God has allowed us to become one of the most ethnically diverse religious groups in the United States. He said that about 20% of SBC churches are majority non-white uh, I, I couldn't find the numbers on that, but that's what he said in this video. And he did acknowledge that that diversity is not reflected in the SBC leadership. And he vowed to prioritize changes to that going forward. Hmm. He said, quote, we know that many in our country. Well, I want him to speak for himself. Clark, do you have that clip pulled up? Uh, we, we, we realize um, that especially in a moment like this one, we need our brothers and sisters of color. We need the wisdom and leadership that God has written into their community. We know that many in our country country, particularly our brothers and sisters of color right now, are hurting. Southern Baptists, we need to, to say it clearly as a gospel issue. Black lives matter. Of course black lives matter. Our, our black brothers and sisters are made in the image of God. Black lives matter because Jesus died for them. Black lives are a beautiful part of God's creation and they make up an essential and beautiful part of his body. And we would be poorer as a people without um, them and, and other minorities in our midst. Let me echo my, my, my friend Jimmy Scroggins, um, pastor down in, in Florida, and saying that black lives matter is an important thing to say right now because we are seeing in our country the evidence of specific injustices that many of our black brothers and sisters and friends have been telling us about for years. And, and, and by the way, let's not respond by, by saying, oh, well, all lives matter. Of course, all lives matter. But I've heard it described this way. Say you're in a group or with a group at a restaurant and, and the waiter brings the food to, to everybody except for one guy at your table, your friend Bob. And so you say to the waiter, hey, excuse me, Bob deserves food. And somebody at your table corrects you to say, no, 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 all of us deserve food. Well, that's true, but you're missing the point. Bob is sitting there by himself without food. And so we are saying we understand that, 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 uh, that, that many of our black brothers and sisters have perceived for many years um, that the processes, the due processes of justice have, have not worked for them as they have for some others in our country. And by the way, like Jimmy, uh, like Dr. Scroggins says, let's spare each other the quotation of stats right now. You know, if you talk to some black friends, you'll know that they can tell you about their experiences and how some of them can be quite different from, from others in our country. Country. We want um, rights and privileges to be extended to everybody. Man, take a breath. He was going. I was really glad Power to see through. that, to hear I that. I rock with J.D. Greer, man. I, I know I got friends that go to his church. J.D.'s a, he's a dope dude, I, but I'm, gonna, I'm not going to lie. I was shocked. Uh, I was shocked. I'm not Baptist, shocked. but like the perception <laughs> of of Southern Baptist theology and their stance and like yeah. their roots in slavery. And I mean, like, I, I was shocked. I was shocked. I mean, like, I'm kind of going, this maybe truly is a tipping point for America, for the church, that, that finally enough is enough. And finally, 
things are actually changing. When the head of the Southern Baptist Convention is talking like that, I mean, he would have been annihilated a decade ago if he had talked like that. And so I I just hope he doesn't get fired. Who was the brother that he's not going to get fired? Oh, you don't think so? Good, good, good. Well, here's what I like. Here's what I like about it, too, is because a lot when I say on my social media, when I'm not just talking about being at the beach, but we're also talking about things that matter. Just kidding. Um, (laughs) I I get a lot. I get pushback from the whole Black Lives Matter thing. And a lot of the pushback comes from the pushback comes like, do you know what Black Lives Matter stands for? Like some of the things that the organization would stand for. And so I know, I think Tyler, I read an article that JD actually addressed that as well in that whole speech of we can say Black Lives Matter and it doesn't mean that we align with the organization or all of the things that they um, would stand for. And I was glad that he said that because I'm a little tired of hearing white people say, well, how can you say Black Lives Matter? Do you know what they stand for? Well, uh, you can push back weird. and say, hey, you probably voted for President Trump in 2016 saying, well, I agree of this part of what he's standing for. I don't agree with everything he's saying. You know what I'm saying? Right, like, yeah. But, but you know what I'm saying? So it's just like, just reflect your own hip- it's, hypocrisy. It's, it's really it's hypocritical. It's, yeah. It is. Because I, I guess my thing is, okay, in the same tone that you would say, hey, don't support Black Lives Matter. Do you know what they stand for and have stood for? Well, what if someone said don't support the Southern Baptist Convention? Because look what they stand for. And yeah, that's stood a great for. point. Like, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. like They literally said, yo, we're going to call ourselves Southern <laughs> Baptist because we believe yeah, we should own point. black people. Like that's the most hypocritical self-owning mm-hmm. thing you could say yeah. In, yeah. In, that, yeah. in that situation. Yeah. 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 And I think that is a really that, that's interesting that that comes up a lot, because I think that for all that you hear right now about how uh, these these corporate statements from play, like we are resolved to listen to our black brothers and sisters and we value the black community and it's time for us to learn a little bit. But then to meet maybe take a little bit of time to learn about some of the political positions that in the past you haven't agreed with, uh, but at least try to understand why that might be part yeah. of many Black Lives Matters organizations. And you don't have to agree. They may not change your mind, but it would behoove a lot of us right now who are saying these things to actually follow through with some time of listening and trying to meet, re, meet, have a little bit of mutual understanding on something like that. With the SBC in particular, it's going to be interesting to see what happens because, as Tyler reminded me yesterday, they're not a normal denomination. Uh, it's not like the president and the leadership of the organization can then dictate theology for their member churches. Like the whole mm. thing about the SBC is they're all autonomous and they can do whatever the heck they want. And so, you know, maybe nothing actually comes of this. There's actually may, there's a hard possibility that it will make no difference in the SBC from a tactical uh, the theology level or system, you know, whatever. But what I like about it is when leadership is speaking up, those who had louder voices in the past, the, the contrarian views, the people who were aligning with bigotry and other things, those voices ha- get silenced when leaders speak yeah. up in the other way. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, yeah. no, it's not okay to operate like this. And, and it emboldens congregants to say like, no, we are about this, not that, you know, like, and, and so I like, yeah, it starts with the statement. And, and, you know, I know we're all skeptical that like, it's just lip service and, you know, we'll see if anything actually comes of it, but it, it has to start there. You know? And then now we, you know, Baptist congregants have the power to say, all right, we now have our leadership saying this, now let's do yeah. something about it, you know, yeah. so. 
I think it helps too when someone who has a different viewpoint, like maybe an, another Southern Baptist preacher somewhere in the country has um, a, view, a viewpoint that they haven't understood and then they hear their leader explain a little bit. It gives yeah. them a little bit of go, okay, oh. JD thinks this and he can say that. Black Lives yeah. Matter. Yeah. Okay, okay, I understand it now. You know, sometimes it takes someone yeah that looks and thinks like you to say something different for you to go okay i trust him and maybe yeah maybe next time you're on instagram you're not gonna post well all lives matter because jesus died for all of us and because jd said something that changed yeah softened your view or whatever exactly and and listen and it's another it's another indication of how important it is for people to break out of their self you know, enforced echo chambers that they choose to abide in you know if it takes you know, the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, if you're a member of the SBC and, and you've never considered, you know, why declaring Black Lives Matter is so important and essential until the president of the SBC had to make a statement, it might also be an indi- indication it's time to break out of the echo chamber and actually have other opinions speak to you before it comes to, well, I guess my head pastor said it, so now I got to consider it. That might be an indication you're just not listening enough you know, voices outside of people who share the exact same opinion yeah. as you, you know? That's a burn. I'm trying to remember who was the person uh, in the SBC I, that was already speaking out about this. And was it Russell? Was Russell it Dr. Moore, Moore? Dr. Russell Moore. Yeah. Man, they, they, Nash, they, but Nashville's own. Man, but he, he suffered a lot, man. Cause he, how he, he hasn't he been came. fired from his role in the no SBC. I think he's almost been they, fired like a hundred times. To. Yeah. <laughs> oh, they tried to. I think they try to fire him every year. He's like the best thing the SBC has. That's Absolutely. The, him and JD Greer. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Moore. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Moore. Hey, real talk. You know why Russell Moore hasn't been fired yet? It's because the, the conv, the, the convoluted leadership, he, cause he's like the president of the ethics council. What, what is the title? Liberties uh, Council. Oh, I can't believe you know it. Yeah, Jamie. and it's like, well, how is he related to the SBC and he's the president of this? They don't even know the org chart. They've tried to fire him. They don't know who's at head of like, Well, we, we don't actually know who can. We will, our intention was to fire him, but we have such convoluted leadership. We don't even know who can technically fire him. He doesn't know that, but we're, we, we've been, we, listen, we were working on the org chart and we just made a really weird shape and I, it just calls more confusing. So we don't even know how to fire him. At this they point. just moved him to the, to the storage closet, his office. And, uh, and they asked uh, him to see HR for his paychecks. You know, so they, you know, I had to write about it to... recently. I had to write about because there was some group within the Southern Baptist Convention that wanted to to take Dr. Moore to task for some of these things. And in trying to write about it for the site, I finally gave up because this is this is a parody. <laughs> this is not real. This line, this it's chain awful. of command makes no sense. So I, I think he's safe. I think his pink slip is on the way, but it's got a solid six years before it actually makes it around oh. his desk. It's Well, he can wreak a lot of havoc yeah, in six years. So go, go Dr. Moore. Go, Dr. Moore. <laughs> the, the, their, their org chart, when you try to figure it out, it looks like one of those Rand McNally atlases, just like <laughs> squiggly road lines going, okay, no, you got to fold that page over. You're doing it wrong. Like yeah. a Rube Goldberg device. <laughs> <laughs> the last story I wanted to bring, and this one will be very short, uh, but this was this was a striking uh, moment for me. Leon Bridges is an artist that we like a lot at Relevant. He's been on the cover. Uh, and he has a new album in the works, but he was moved to... Just hey, everybody needs to know he grew up in Texas, a Christian hip hop fan. That's true. Like he's shown oh, wow. up. He he shows up at like yeah. Christian hip hop shows from time to time, just as as a fan. You know, even though he's famous now. Like I saw him. He was at uh, 
what's his name now? Crump? Uh, it used to be Plato. Plato was doing oh, a show. Oh yeah, Crumb. Yeah, yeah, that's my bro. He, yeah, he was he was doing a show, and Leon Bridges showed up, and he's just he's a huge fan. You know, it's like what? Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> and he's great. That's awesome. And he's great. Leon's really really great. And I was a he uh he has so his new album's on the way. He was moved to share a new song given the events past couple of weeks. I'm gonna read the statement that he released along with it, and then Clark, you can play a, a clip of the song. Uh, so he, here's what he said. Growing up in Texas, I've personally experienced racism. My friends have experienced racism. From adolescence, we're taught how to conduct ourselves when we encounter police to avoid the consequences of being racially profiled. I've been numb for too long, calloused when it came to the issues of police brutality. The death of George Floyd was the straw that broke the camel's back for me. It was the first time I wept for a man I never met. I am George Floyd. Mm. My brothers are George Floyd. My sisters are George Floyd. I cannot and will not be silent any longer. Just as Abel's blood was crying out to God, George Floyd is crying out to me. So I present to you Sweeter. Here's a clip of the song. Hoping for a life more sweeter. Instead, I'm just a story repeated. What I love seeing about Leon's evolution as an artist is that his first two albums, he was, you know, kind of in the Sam Cooke motif. And they kind of said, you're going to be retro. You're going to dance. You're going to have backup singers. You're going to look, you're going to look like Sam Cooke. And now he's finding his voice. You know what I mean? Like, it seems like even just in his visual aesthetic and his music, it's, it's moving past the retro shtick. It's, He's a great artist. He's, I'm excited for the new album. Awesome. Yeah, and I love that song. And it'll be it'll be interesting in the coming week. This is one of the first I've heard, but to see some of the other art that comes out of all this and, and the yeah. way people channel some of the, the trauma and the anger and the sadness yeah. and the rage into what we'll see next. I think there's going to be... I think there's going to be a wave. In about a month, there's going to be a wave of powerful art that gets released. You know, like I, I feel yeah. like artists are moved and they're in the studio right now. You know, and it's I've coming. done like three features for people you? that, yeah. So many people are like, "Yo, hop on this song," and I'm like, "All right, if you're okay, if you yeah. want me to." <laughs> but yeah, it's a lot of it's, it, there's a lot of angst. This really reminds me um, of post Rodney King, mm. like the mm. art that came out around that time. It's almost like hip hop began to come in; it hit a stride post rodney you know what Dude, i mean rodney was in 92 right yeah man 93 is my favorite year of hip-hop 94 95 classic after classic after classic i mean you're so, right you're right hit a stride it feels that if that that's yeah. the energy i feel now is just that level of angst and what hip-hop is good at so hip-hop is really good at partying part making party music making fun music but what hip-hop is amazing at is having angst and telling stories Mm-hmm. That that mm-hmm. is the that's when hip hop is at its best mm-hmm. when it has the angst of the people and it's telling the story. That's when it's at its best. So hip hop has kind of been in this space where it hasn't known what it's wanted to be. And you've had like the J Coles and the Kendricks pop their head up and and mm-hmm. different people like that. But I I feel like 
you're about to get this wave of just brilliant art because it's not yeah it's almost like the artists i feel like taking it back out of the hands of the corporations and saying we're going to make what we want and then that's you know you're going to have to deal with the consequences it's going to be interesting to see the the wave of soundcloud rappers over the last few years that have kind of turned hip-hop and it's like what's what's the point it's like yeah Mm -hmm. you're right it's party it's just like escape it's 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 you know substances and you know whatever that's exactly that's what life it's gonna be interesting to see what that lane of hip-hop becomes does it change that lane or does it even push it further toward escapism you know it'll be interesting to see i don't know all right well stay tuned up next torn wells joins us make way through the Well, you're listening to our next guest, Torrin Wells, featuring Jen Johnson. The song is famous for, parentheses, I believe. Well, today's episode is brought to you by Bombas. Bombas makes the most comfortable socks in the history of feet. They've reimagined every little detail of the socks we wear every day to make them way more cozy. I wear them every day. Uh, They have a variety of styles to choose from. The material is amazing and they go beyond the purpose of just keeping your feet cozy because for every pair of socks you purchase, Bombas donates a pair to someone in need. The generosity of Bombas customers has allowed them to donate over 34 million pairs of socks and counting through their nationwide network of 3,000 giving partners. To those experiencing homelessness, these socks are a small comfort that make a big difference. You give a pair when you buy a pair and you can get 20% off your first purchase at bombas.com slash relevant. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash relevant for 20% off your first purchase. Pompas.com slash relevant. Well, Torrin Wells is the former frontman of Grammy Award nominated band Royal Taylor. And he's now a solo artist, father, songwriter, worship leader, multi-instrumentalist, and performer. His newest album, Citizen of Heaven, finds his pop sensibilities all the sharper, churning out his unique brand of timeless retro-influenced jams that feel both classic and current while forefronting his message of faith. We recently spoke to him. Here's part of our conversation with Tolan Wells. ask you what kind of music do you make what do you tell them i say pop um sometimes i'll say christian pop but i say pop because it's the most um diverse genre it's kind of a a melting pot of all the genres Uh, so i just i just say pop and i think my voice lends itself to that um, with maybe like more of a soulful thing to it, but that's really, that's my goal in making an album is musical diversity. I, I don't really enjoy listening to 
an album where I feel like I'm listening to the same track 12 times at different tempos. Um, I want there, I want to see the different character and dimension of the artist I'm listening to. So that's what I'm trying to do is, is be that full expression of how God made me to be. And that may not connect with everybody. That's not really my goal. I've said from the beginning, um, my music isn't for everybody, but it's for anybody, (laughs) you know, like I think there's something for anyone if you're willing to dig into the record and not just judge it on a surface level. I think what's unique about this album is every song kind of has a crazy story of how it came about. Like Millionaire, I wrote that in a dressing room on a tour with a couple friends of mine. I wanted Kirk Franklin on it. I couldn't get connected to him the way that I wanted to excuse me and then i'm sitting in atlanta after doing a women's event with louie and shelly giglio i'm sitting there and kirk franklin walks into the restaurant and sits down at the table next to us and on his way in i'm like kirk and he points at me he's like hills and valleys which was the song from my last album hills and valleys i said Yeah, he was like, bro, I heard the song you want me on. I'm doing it. And the funny thing is, I was just telling Louie in the car about the song and how I was trying to get Kirk and, you know, we'll see what happens. I mean, that was just a crazy. He was in Atlanta shooting Sunday Best, you know, and we just happened to be in the same restaurant at the same time. And he's like, I heard that song. And from that point we worked. Do you feel like you have a, uh, I guess the word would be a lane for your songwriting. Uh, where do your lyrics fall into? Ultimately with me beyond being a songwriter or a musician or artist or whatever. Um, I feel like that's just one piece of, what God has called me to do. And there are many other pieces to me being faithful to the mission that he's called me to. And the overarching statement of that for me is to call greatness out of others. And it may sound trite, but I am a product of someone seeing something in me that I was unable to see in myself and that many of the people around me were unable to see that so many of us are living with these ceilings over our lives because people can often only see us how they have seen us that we don't really get a lot of permission to evolve and to grow and mature and to do things differently and to want to step into different places and broaden different lanes. And, um, 
that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to have music that resonates with the people who feel like there's been a low bar that's been set for their lives and to raise that bar. Now, I just happen to believe that with God, we find our greatest possibility for potential that when we align our gifts with his purpose, that we see ourselves in the fullest way and we're able to operate at our full capacity. So this idea of calling out greatness in someone, have you encountered much resistance to this idea? I think there'd be a lot of like uh, probably well-meaning Christian critics who would say, well, that's kind of a dangerous thing to teach people or it's a little theologically iffy. How would you respond to that? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Don't teach people that they actually have a purpose that could be bigger than your personal kingdom you're trying to grow which you use fear and control to to do i mean to me that's the it's the antithesis of the gospel um i came that you may have life and life more abundantly and you know i think we are so quick to throw anything positive into like a prosperity gospel uh, I think people line up on, on two different sides of that conversation of like, well, you know, name it, claim it, blab it, grab it. You know, you can get anything you want if you just say it. And I think that's an abuse of scripture. And then the other side is, well, God called us all to be impoverished and imprisoned and, and to humility is really a victim mentality. The whole world is against us. You know, I just, I just happen to believe that there's this amazing place called the middle (laughs) and that the safest place to be on a one way street is the middle and that that's okay. And I, I haven't had any pushback uh, to the idea that I'm trying to get people to believe that they are possible, that they are full of potential. Um, Not at this point, however, maybe if I get more exposure, I'll get more criticism. That's usually how it works. That was Torn Wells. Make sure to check out his new album, Citizen of Heaven. It's out now. Stay tuned. Up next, Slices. Look at all these slave masters posing on your dollar. Look at all these slave masters posing on your dollar. Look at all these slave masters posing on your dollar. Look at all these slave masters. Man, you better thug out. Get the bag and the bug out. Try to run home. You might run. You're listening to Run the Jewels. Featuring Pharrell Williams and Zach De La Rocha. The song is just, but the S is a dollar sign. You know? So there you go. Just. Okay. It's time for... Slices. All right. What do you have, Jesse? All right. Well, today I'm bringing you a story from Belgium. Wait, and one from man's, where? Uh, Belgium. 
You said and Belgian, say, like waffles. Yeah, he's a, he, he's a Belgian. He's a Belgian man <laughs> who ironically lives in Belgium. <laughs> Which is, hey guys, is Belgium the Netherlands? I always, is that, who's the Dutch in this situation? Do we know? I, I've, I've we been know? there and, and I'm not actually this? not clear. They call the same thing seven things. I don't know. Well, well e- either way, he has much more, he has much greater concerns in all of these things. He has been, <laughs> he has been living uh, a decade long nightmare. Uh, he is 65 years old and he has the independent, the, the newspaper out of the UK, uh, doing some quality journalism, <laughs> living up to their, their <laughs> reputation as, uh, uh, he, he's described his situation as 10 years of pizza terror and pizza terror is a terror is a quote from him. <laughs> and what's been happening to this poor guy is for the last decade at all hours of the night, day and night. Uh, food, particularly pizzas, show up at his doorstep. He has not ordered the pizza. Listen, he has not ordered the pizzas. He he does not know who is sending them to them. They're just showing up. And this this is how bad it's gotten, okay? This is another quote. He said, I cannot sleep anymore. I start shaking every time I hear a scooter on the street because he thinks, he thinks... He thinks that scooter is going to pull into his driveway and just drop food off on his house. Now, he refuses to pay. He refuses to pay. This isn't like pre-brought pizza. And I guess the pizza men are just like, well, I, I can't take it with me. So I don't I, – the way he's framing right. this, okay? Like if, if it was just like, hey, man, for 10 years, free food is just be shot, dropped yeah. off at your door it, right. day or night. That would yeah. be the greatest the thing ever. It's like winning some kind of weird but contest, it's not. you know. But instead, he he has uh, he he has no idea. He he, he claims this has just ruined his life. And a weird thing is they, they have they have no idea who's doing this. And a friend of his who lives twenty miles away has been suffering the same pizza terror for the same amount of time in ten years. So police have theories. Maybe these two no. friends wronged somebody and that person <laughs> is holds the weirdest grudges ever and spending and millions decided, of dollars on pizzas <laughs> and just shipping it to these guys houses here's a, here's a quote that he says he says that a police are investigating and he said when he finds the person quote this is straight up a threat when he finds out who's been sending him all these pizzas he said quote it will not be their best I'm real scared of the guy whose life has been turned upside down, who has the, the mental and emotional fortitude to to survive just a, a, a tragedy like this where pizza is showing up at your house. Like, this is the greatest thing ever. Like, it's the greatest... It's the coolest prank he, ever. Yeah, he has to pay for it though. So it's no, not. He doesn't right? pay for that. No, he's, he's refusing. refusing. He but said, but he's not. Paying. So then he doesn't yeah. get pizza. It's just a, the annoyance. No, a lot of times. No, a lot of times they just leave the pizza because like we can't take the pizza back. Here's if my thing. The, the issue is the issue is. I mean, you would think that the pizza companies that deliver to that house are fairly limited. There's only a handful that would deliver to his neighborhood. They all know that address. Yeah. Uh, Ten years. That's crazy. Exactly. That's crazy. I, yeah, exactly. It, it's a weird it's a weird mystery. But I love playing I love like whoever's doing it, whoever is involved. It's just they're just now the pay, they're just now getting the payoff. In. It's just now hitting international news. <laughs> like 10 years in, it's like the joke payoff is right there. Like I love jokes or, or, or pranks that you don't even get the payoff. Like one time I had this guy I was in a fantasy football yeah. league with and 
him and his he was he was a little older and him and his wife shared an email account right <laughs> they had like their family email he had his work account and his family email account and he used his family uh-huh. account for fantasy football related transactions and he came, I was the commissioner of the league and he came to me and was like, hey man, you guys, get, I, I gotta take the email off there. I, my wife's tired of the our e- inbox getting filled up with trade requests and fantasy stuff. I'm like, dude, you know how much it costs to, to just sign up for a new email address? It's literally free. I could do it for you. He's like, no, 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 just stop sending me the fantasy emails. My wife is getting mad. I'm like, this is insane. It made me so irritated that I went and I found every cat-related <laughs> newsletter I could find on the internet. You subscribe like, like, can't cat fancy no. magazines cat <laughs> updates from from cat food companies i went to yes. like veterinary websites and anything they had cat related i literally signed him up for probably 50 cat related <laughs> newsletters just because it irritated me that you just wouldn't set up a new email address and i never asked him about it i never said hey how's your you know i like to think that I, I don't need the payoff. All I need to know is that I leveled that degree of psychological warfare on him. That's only the Jesse, payoff I need. That's Jesse, what the pizza well, I do have That's to say, awful. if anyone wants to play this sick joke on the IVs, they can send us a pizza every day. I got four kids here. They love pizza. I'm with Send it, it on. Yeah. Jesse, did you not think that your friend maybe had to have a shared account with his wife for accountability reasons, because he maybe did things that she doesn't want him to be. Give her access to the fa- give her access to the fantasy All right. football. All right, it, does, it, it doesn't yeah, you matter. You know, like there there are lots of solutions <laughs> for this. Send the cats. I'm, I'm with Jesse yeah. on this one. Send I catted cats. him. I catted him. I catted him. How do you like it? You got catted. All right, what do you have, Jamie? Okay, mine's um, not as good as this by any means because I would love free pizza. But um, a show was just recently canceled, and it has been okay. Cops. Who watches Cops in here? I mean, in '91, maybe. I mean, like, I, yeah, yeah. I saw this too. I was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Do you know when I it was that started? Was canceled ten years ago, bro. Whenever the, whenever that, uh, J- Jesse, you were super into that live pop show. Live, live PD. Live, I, I was really into live PD until I listened to an investigative podcast about how shady uh-huh. it is and how like it's not even live. Like that was a whole thrill was like, oh, this is, you know, you're popping around the country and, and you know, you don't know what's going to happen, but it's all pre-recorded. Yeah, it's like it's like when I found out that House Hunters was rigged. I, so, I, I stopped rigged. watching yes. it. Oh, it's yeah. rigged? Okay. House Hunters is rigged? Dude, Derek, yeah. 99% of the time, they've already bought the house and then they go and fake looking at two other ones yeah my friend her house was on house hunters it was the one that they bought and so her house was already sold they already bought it and then they filmed it stop don't tell me that when i learned that i haven't watched it since it's just like guys really nothing's real on tv everything nothing's real i know but but live PD, the whole the whole premise of live PD was that it actually was. It's yeah, in the title. Live. <laughs> I heard I heard I heard Chip and Joe go and plant shiplap underneath <laughs> old drywall sometimes. Found. So like, oh boy, peel it off, Chip. What do we got? Okay, cops launched in nineteen eighty nine, you guys. It's been around for a long time. Wow. And they actually it was just canceled by the Paramount Network. Uh, after they've come under fire in recent years for the way it depicts law enforcement and questionable behind-the-scenes practices. Um, And it's been on forever, obviously, and they have pulled it because also the way that they represent um, people of color on their show. So there you go. It does seem... It did seem fairly predatory. You know, like like they were... Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's good. They also A and E removed Live PD too, so you can't watch that anymore right now either. The only the only thing good cops brought us was Reno Nine One One. Reno Nine One was amazing. If, they, if there was no cop, because Reno Nine One One is essentially a cop's yeah. parody, you know, it's like the reality show format. So if there was no cops, there was no Reno Nine One One. But if if they're like, okay, we gave you that, now we're out. That's fine. Also, I, we I, I didn't even know cops. Guys, Live on. PD is the number one show on cable on Friday nights. What? Wow. I just crazy. read it. That's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. I know. Crazy. The number one series on cable on Friday and Saturday nights. I, it will be interesting to see how entertainment does change and, and adjust to this. Because, yeah. I mean, like, think about TV in the 70s and 80s and 90s. I mean, as America evolves, as culture evolves, society evolves, entertainment reflects that and evolves with it. And so... This is a pivot. I read. I read today that HBO pulled Gone they with the Wind. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, in particular, I read a think piece, ugh, dude. I can't remember. You know what what site it was recently about particularly how prime time for you know the contemporary era of of television there. It was hard to flip around the channels and not find at least one cop show on, like whether that was a CSI, whether it was some, uh, you know, a a law and And order. They each have 13 extra CSIs and law and orders. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, uh, CSI black ops or whatever, (laughs) you know, it's like, you know, or, or, you know, even even in in sitcoms, you know, I mean, going, you know, you have Brooklyn Nine-Nine and, you know, but you you can go back and trace a lot of the history of TV, like police shows have been just a staple of programming. And, you know, this this thing piece, you know, was kind of making the case that save for some some franchise like CSI that just or or, you know, a law and order SVU or something will probably start start seeing a lot less shows that are based in that world you know i love mm-hmm. law and order svu i'm not gonna even lie i i love police shows you know i think i think they're dope. well i think there's a yeah. difference between Some those other. that jesse's talking about and then cops and right. live pd yeah 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 we love yeah. svu over here yeah man i'm telling you stabler that's my dude i rock with stabler that's my guy <laughs> that's right stabler stabler is the dude yeah anyway i'm right. sorry all right, what do you have, Derek? Uh, so every summer, there's a hip hop brings you an anthem. Last year, Meg Thee Stallion have you with the Hot Girl Summer. Before mm-hmm. that, uh, what was it? God's Plan, I think, was before that. And this year, we got you about to lose your job. You oh, about that's to right. Lose your job. <laughs> that's right. I saw that. <laughs> that's the new summer anthem for us. We thought it was gonna come from a, a number one selling artist, but it came from. Janiqua Charles, she was getting arrested, a uh, police officer. She said she was getting arrested for no reason, and she started twerking on him and saying, you are about to lose your job. <laughs> the video is crazy. It's, it's hilarious. And uh, Clark, do you have it? Clark, can you play it? You are about to lose your job. You are about to lose your job. Get this dance. You are about to lose <laughs> your job because you are detaining me for nothing. You are about to lose your job. Dude, did you see the protesters singing it? Yes, yes. It's it's the summer anthem. So this is the same. The dude that produced it, his name is Sway, the remix guy. It's also the guy that uh 
did the I got beans, greens, potatoes, tomatoes, chicken, ram. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's the yeah. same guy. So he's, yeah. I mean, Swade is a legend. And I knew when I saw that clip, I was like, Swade's about to murder this. And literally the next day. So now, you know, hey, it's it's lose your job summer. That's what we own. Hey, play, Clark, play the clip of, of some of the protesters when it hit the street. That's crazy. You're right. That's proof right there, Derek. It's taking off. People are saying you're about to lose your job. That's the summer. I hope she get a Grammy off of it. I hope she get a Grammy (laughs) off of it. I don't even know. That's awesome, man. All right. Well, that'll do it for slices. Stay tuned. Up next, Marty joins us. You're listening to Palfu featuring Biada Dubi. I'm not kidding. The song is Deathbed, Coffee for Your Head. Well, Marty is a Miami-based rapper and producer who's also one half of one of our favorite rap duos, Social Club Misfits. This week, he released his second solo project, Marty for President 2, in which he collaborates with people like Andy Minio, Wande, Derek Weiner, for a dizzying trip through a variety of hip hop styles and influences. Here is Marty to tell us a little bit about the new album and what kind of legacy he wants to leave yeah. on Christian hip hop. Sometimes I need a certain Honestly, it's been exciting to try new stuff, and you know, the, the I heard this quote today. I started watching this show called Ballers with the Rock, which is really an appropriate show. But you know, they always say this one statement. They say, you know, future favors the bold. You know, the future will favor the people who just put themselves on the line and try something, even if you fail, you tried something. I think that. That's my mindset right now is I just, I at least want to try, you know, if I fail, cool. But you know what? I won't have any regrets about it. I think good music just travels, you know, like good music. It doesn't really matter what happens. Like if it's good, people will like it. And I think that Christian music has been good. Like there's a lot of great artists out there and a lot of great sound. But I don't know, to me, it's almost like a confidence thing. Like, you know, being in this game for so long, being in music, it's like a lot of times where I think people are ashamed of their message. Like it's cool for the church. But then when you meet just somebody like a rando that's outside that's just hanging out, it's like you're afraid to like tell people about your music. And I I feel like 
you know, we have to believe in ourselves because our music is that good, despite the fact that there's a negative connotation on our Christian music. Like, oh, Christian music's corny. Like, it's not. It's actually pretty decent. It's really good. There's some artists that would be huge in the mainstream if they just follow that path. But I think once you steer the ship in that direction and we just, you know, that Christian direction for us, it's, it's, we're not going to go to mainstream. It's just, it, you know, if it, if it goes there, great. But the goal for us, I think, is to change the landscape of what Christian music looks like. And there's a lot of fans of Christian music that are just silent. And so, like, I mean, today there was an interview with uh, Lecrae with Jeremy Lin. And, you know, you'd think, like, oh, Jeremy Lin's listening to, like, Lecrae. And, like, he's so well-connected, more I'm realizing. And so there's a lot of just conversations behind the scenes of a lot of artists who are who know like people who are in the mainstream and, and movies and Hollywood or even in, you know, music that are just silent about it, you know? And so, cause I think that mainstream hip hop has its own culture as well. And so the people in that, you, know, you have to be a part of that culture to understand it. And so they're looking to get on, on that side of the spectrum and then we're over here on this spectrum, but somehow they always cross, which is cool. But I just think that, you know, we're in a place right now where it's like streaming has changed the landscape and cool. You know, I, I think that music, good music just always travels, you know? We, we promote a culture and a lifestyle of serving God. You know, God can be, you can serve God wherever you are in your life and you can serve God um, and not be anti-world, you know, anti, like I'm anti the world. And I think for a while there was people who were like, hey, we're over here and then Christians are over here. It's like, we have to be separated and I think that is anti what Jesus always spoke about. You know, Jesus made time for people who didn't believe because how's it that here's the thing, how were they ever gonna believe in the Son of God if they didn't have an experience with them? Uh, you know, like how how are you gonna convert or even communicate to somebody? You know, the woman at the well, like imagine if he was like, you know what, like, you're not part of my culture and you're a woman and I can't talk to you. And so like Jesus was great at just saying like, I know that there's cultural lines. Let me break those. And I think that's what we want to do with our music is like, you know, we want people to know about Jesus, but we're going to give you a landscape of great music that will challenge any other artist that's out there. Um, song by song. Me and Gabby were still selling fashion. my Tesla hands free and then I crash it. looking at me My buddy was sharing me this story about, I'll make this real quick, but my buddy was sharing the story about this woman. She was an older woman. She's in her 80s and she had this dream. And she's like, you know, I just, you know, she saw him. He's a leader in the youth groups, like a pastor. And she's like, I just saw this generation and they're feared by hell. And I love that idea of like, you know, we're loved by heaven and we're feared by hell. Like we're a force to be reckoned with. So we're naming the new project Feared by Hell. And I'm super pumped about it because it just gives you this, Already you kind of know like this rock and roll or this Kanye-esque feel to it that's already involved. And so um, that's really where I'm like, 
focusing on right now is like how can we deliver in the midst of a pandemic the greatest album that we've ever delivered and i think that right now it's i don't think i think so many people are dropping uh you know uh you know pandemic songs a coronavirus quarantine song and i think that there's outs after this after quarantine like we might drop the song and everyone's out of it so it might be like we want to make new relevant music that's current to now and i think we're going to do that we're going to think we're going to knock it out the park on this one That was Marty. Go check out his solo project, Marty for President 2. And while you're at it, might as well go download all the Social Club Misfit albums because they're pretty great. Stay tuned. Up next, we hear from you. You're listening to Turnover. The song is still in motion. Well, last week at the end of the show, we asked you guys a, a, an unusual question of the week. Uh, we just wanted to know how you were doing. It's been a very hard and exhausting uh, few weeks for America. And I know that it's taken a toll on a lot of people. Um, and we just wanted to kind of do a check-in and see how you guys were doing with everything. You guys hit us up on Twitter at Relevant Podcast and you guys also uh, posted over on Relevant Magazine's Instagram. Here are a few of the things you guys had to say. I think we can, uh, you know, relate to different parts of the, all relate to different parts of this comment from Justin. He says, I'm tired yet hopeful. The people around me that I never thought would engage in the conversation are talking this time around and it's giving me a lot of hope. It comes and goes in waves, but still though, the internet is the best and worst place right now. I think we, we've both kind of seen, we've all kind of seen both sides of that, but uh, it's kind of like what we were talking earlier with the uh, SBC, uh, you know, story that there are a lot of people engaging in the conversation and it, and hopefully he's right that it does seem different this time around. Uh, Amy said this, she said, most days not great, but as a teacher, I have hope for the future. I've been so encouraging to see some of my students at the same marches that I'm at. And then another guy, Michael, also is a teacher and said, uh, you know, how can I help my high school students when we return to and this is when we return to school in the fall? And, you know, think about teachers. They're with our kids a lot during the day. And I love to see teachers thinking, how can I engage these conversations with my students? That's a lot of weight on them. Yeah, this this is another one from a teacher, Amy. Uh, Most days not great, but as a teacher, I have hope for the future. Been so encouraging to see some of my students at the same marches I'm at. Yeah, someone said, uh, Mindy, she says, uh, frustrated and angry at the injustice in this country that is being promoted and defended by people in the church, people I looked up to as a child. So that's that's rough. That's really rough. Uh, Hillary Bass says this, I'm grieved more deeply than I've ever been. The heaviness of pain, mourning, and anger over injustices. I think of the scene from Hotel Rwanda, which, and then she quotes it here. When we see the killings, will we rise up and act, or will we just say, that's a shame, and go back to eating our dinners? Mm. And you know which what, that's... I, oh, go ahead. That's Sorry. good. I went to Rwanda in January, and that country 
it, it is unbelievable how they have overcome what they went through. Mm. That happened, you know, 25 years ago, but they mm. actually had it yeah. going on for 20, 30 years before then, colonization, Absolutely. all the things. Yeah. So they've been through a lot. Yeah. And the way that their country has overcome is Absolutely. we should take lessons from them. Yeah. yeah. It was funny. I was at a protest and that's exactly what happened. Like, or I'm not going to say that's exactly what these people were doing, but like we're protesting and then I look to the side and there's like these people that are eating poke their head up and they like take a picture and then they go back to eat. I was like, yo, this is crazy. But it, it, it was yeah. like a parade. You know, I think just sometimes we just, and I, I don't think that that's a heart thing in a sense of, you know, those people didn't care. You know, it's no telling what those people thought. But I think just we live in this world where if we don't film, we, 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 we always have to film something. Like we feel like we have to snap a picture, get that yeah. thing. You know what I mean? Well, there's a lot more that came, where those came from. Check them out on uh, the Relevant Podcast Twitter account or over on our inst- the comments on the uh, podcast post on Instagram. I did a little bit, Derek saw it. I did a little bit of a different Instagram post for last week's episode. <laughs> <laughs> like, I need that shirt, bro. Please give me that shirt. I, I po- need it. I posted it and, and then like, and a lot of people got, you know, laughing. It was, it was funny. It was just a needed moment of levity. And, uh, and, and a couple of, uh, white women were offended. And so I sent it over to Derek. I was like, yeah, he's like, nah, it's good. Keep it. So I did. Bro, every black person I sent that, that, uh, (laughs) that shirt to or showed them that picture, they just died laughing. It's like, yeah, the only, only critique I would be like, yo, hey, police, my name is Karen. Like, that's what they should (laughs) have instead of like, hey, I'm a white woman. I should have been. My name is Karen. It was a picture of a, a, an older, large, black man wearing a t-shirt that said dear very large letters dear police i am a white woman and so <laughs> it's perfect. that was last was week's hilarious. instagram post from the hard-hitting yeah. relevant podcast a relevant magazine instagram account uh, okay well a few minutes ago we were talking about pranks about the the poor belgians who were getting pizza sent to their houses for 10 years day and night pork um and it got it got us thinking about best pranks best pranks that you've ever pulled or best pranks that have ever been pulled on you we want to know hit us up on twitter at relevant podcast and tell us your best prank story or send us a message on instagram we are at relevant magazine i i feel like jesse could fill an hour with with the answers yeah i'd say i could just do a whole that's that just next week's podcast. podcast series that could just be yeah exactly we can do a spinoff show <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm gonna, I'm gonna hold some close to the chest uh, uh, until next week. But I'm excited to see what our our dear listeners have for us. The good thing about doing a show with Jesse for 15 years, I mean, I've heard most most of the stories, right? Most. He is one of the best storytellers ever. He can take a very mundane situation and have you cracking up the way he tells it. The good thing about Jamie and Derek being new to the cast is they haven't heard most of these stories and they're new to them. And I can toss them up. I can toss Jesse up over the couple. Yeah. We can I mean, just throw it, those yeah. softballs because, to him all day bro, long. I love it. I know. <laughs> I already know what's coming next week when Jesse jumps in to answer some of these. So anyway, I'm ready. I can't wait. I'm ready. <laughs> Jesse, right. you're hilarious, bro. 
I'll come in. I'm going to come in hot. Going to come in hot, guys. Just, see, I don't. I mean, we got to we got to circle back to bird smoothie. We got to circle back to the copier machine. We got to circle back. Oh, to, there, yeah. There's uh, some classics. classics. You say bird bird so smoothie? No, no matter of fact, don't even. Let's not even talk about it. I just want to wait, wait on it. I want to hear it. I want to hear it live. All right. Well, many thanks to Marty for joining us. Uh, his new album, Marty for President Two, is out now. Go check it out. He's got uh, collaborations with Andy Minio, Juan Day, Derek Minor bunch of our friends uh yeah go check it out and we actually have a conversation with marty more of that conversation that you heard over at relevantmagazine.com uh also thanks to torin wells for joining us uh go check out his newest album citizen of heaven it's out now um and you also can find more of that conversation over at relevantmagazine.com all right well on that note we will wrap it up I'm Cameron Strang. I'm Jesse Carey. I'm Jamie Ivey. I'm Derek Miner. We will see you next week. Have a good weekend, everyone. Thanks for listening to The Relevant Podcast. Check out our features, interviews, and news updates every day at relevantmagazine.com. And make sure to follow Relevant on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram for the latest. For more great podcasts, check out our Relevant Podcast Network, featuring shows like Relevant Daily, Signs of Life, Unedited, and many more launching throughout the year. How do you like it? You got catted. Relevant Podcast Network.